my friends. And thank you for tuning in to another edition of Factions of Freedom. I'm your host, Noise Era, Freedom Faction, whichever one you prefer. And I have titled this episode, Summer of Rage, Pandemic Dissidents, and Scorching Earth. Why? We get into EMP attacks. We get into millions of acres being burned. We get into rolling power outages. Dr. Anthony Fauci calling for the rebuilding of the human infrastructure and so much more. That's right. People fighting back against COVID, as well as people fighting back against communists. Yeah, a very information-packed episode. You're not going to want to miss it. Speaking of missing things, if you didn't listen to the minicast we did earlier this week, going into Nod, you really missed out. Check it out. Both audio and video are available. Speaking of another thing that's available, our web app is. That's right. They finally let us get followers again. We're at now 300,000 plus. And in response to the censorship and the content deletion, we've launched our web app, freedomsfaction.disciplemedia.com. Join us. There are limited slots available. If you guys want to support this operation, think about becoming a patreon.com forward slash freedom faction exclusive member. All of that and more is going to be in the link in the description bar below. And with that being said, let's start the show. Salutations, my friends. And thank you for tuning in to another edition of Factions of Freedom. I'm your host, Noise Era, Freedom Faction, whichever one you prefer, and this is show number 1030, season 10, episode 30. No, we have, as always, a lot of different things to talk about with you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, but what I want to point out before we get started is this little community that we created. I know I kind of I kind of alluded to it earlier this week on the Instagram live with you guys that uh, over the several years from the guests that we've had on the different shows that we've done and the wild ride that it's been being here um, we are now turning the audience into the guests and I feel like that is such a such a such a powerful statement in and of itself you know we have a lot of things to be grateful for in this life and I think I'm just extraordinarily grateful again to just have this 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 support network and that ties into how I want to start this episode it is apparently uh, National Suicide Prevention Day or Suicide Awareness Day we are currently recording on September 10th we're going to be talking about September 11th right but I just think it's crazy how you know we've, we've talked about the mental health epidemic that's going to come from this I tried to briefly mention it earlier this week on the Instagram live uh, you know there's there's that that <laughs> There's just so many different things going on uh, that I'm sure there are people out there that do need help. And I would just want to go ahead and tell you guys that it's okay to not be okay. I'm going to give you the suicide prevention hotline number. It's 1-800-273-8255. That number again is 1-800-273-8255. And the reason I give that out there is not so you can go tattletailing yourself and get contact traced and you know, get put into the system because you consider yourself crazy. No, 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 no. I'm saying that you, that the times are hard for everybody involved and that it's okay to not be okay and to reach out and ask for help. 
you know, that's another one of the reasons why I wanted to do life coaching is to kind of be that, be, be that for people, um, that actually wanted to seek out help. Uh, we talk about it on the time on the show time and time again, the mental health epidemic. We say it kind of in passing that suicide spirit, but it's a very real thing. I shouldn't just say factoids like, you know, uh, uh, a year's worth of suicides in a couple weeks. That's, 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 that's terrifying. And it's just kind of crazy to think about that. Again, you know, people really truly are losing their minds. I talk about the anxiety, the depression, the nihilism, the apathy, right? That suicide spirit, it's a real thing. Um, and I understand that. I think, I, again, I take it for granted that we have such a diverse support system uh, from business partners to guests to all kinds of different stuff, man. And so for people that don't have that network, that don't feel like they could reach out to people uh, either at their local church, either at their local gym, at their local coffee shop, right? Their significant other that don't understand, go ahead and give that number a call, man. Like I'm not, they didn't, they didn't pay for this, right? <laughs> I'm not taking promo. <laughs> I'm not taking promos for the government to say, hey, if you need suicide help, here's the number. I'm not doing that. What I'm doing is saying that everybody does need help and that it's okay to admit that, man, you know, it truly is. And so with, again, with the mental health epidemic that's coming from this, we covered it earlier this week, uh, the lockdown pseudoscience psychology, we'll cover it again in this episode, the Stockholm syndrome, you know, the, 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 the breaking down of people's will is a very real thing. Um, and so again, that number is 1-800-273-8255. If you need to talk to somebody, go ahead and talk it out. Uh, you know, so uh, I'm not suicidal. I love myself and I love life. But sometimes whenever I have like those moments of sadness, guys, I'll be honest with you. You know, I either type it out right on the computer. I vent. I go to Reddit. I create like an anonymous profile. I say, gosh, you know, I hate X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I vent. And then I never check the profile again. <laughs> you know, or I grab like a letter and I write till my fingers are, 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 are sore. And then I burn the, <laughs> burn the letter, let it go, you know. Uh, and for people that don't and are not as crazy and, and, and strange like myself, you can call that number, 1-800-273-8255. It is National Suicide Prevention Day, and we cover heavy things over here. Um, and unfortunately, I can't give out my public number to people for them to give me a call if they're feeling kind of strange. So, yeah, if you need help, Reach out for it. It's okay to not be okay. Realize that you need to take the space and the time for yourself. Healing is a real thing. So, <clears throat> with that being said, with that being said, reaching out for help is one thing, but I'm going to go ahead and start this episode off kind of on a rocky note. We jumped right into it talking about suicide. I don't really think there's any other place for me to go <laughs> uh, besides trying to pick up after after that. And what I'm trying to say is uh, 100% Antifa, Michael Rolinol is dead. He's dead. Just like that convicted pedophile that Kyle Rittenhouse shot is. These are two people that threw their life away over foolishness. Do not do that. Do not throw your life away over foolishness. We didn't cover it last week because I thought, good Lord, 
That all happened way too fast, within a couple hours of giving his interview on Vice, the man is dead. I'm not, I have the clip, but I don't really know if I even want to show it. You know, and I say this because as we are coming up on September 11th, that's whenever this episode will debut, 19 years later, we have to ask ourselves what we're really faced with, a new type of terror. Something else is plaguing us, coming after our freedoms. You see, 100% Antifa Michael Rowanall is dead. Something else is plaguing us, hating us, changing us, forcing us to do things a little bit different. You know, I was saying this the other day, (laughs) Uh, because it plays a huge part in what we're going to be talking about. 52% of the millennials now living with their parents, the highest since the Greatest Depression. I don't live with my parents. It's it's just me and the bang. You know, I was explaining to her the other day just how this mindset works. Not throwing your life away, but taking the time to be appreciative. Scraping, tooth and nail, fixing your problems, addressing these things. Not throwing your life away. I'll cover that more when we get into it, but it plays a huge part in this, guys. Because again, uh, we had somebody call for my death yesterday because of what we'll get into with the, the Antifa Proud Boys protest that happened the other weekend. Somebody called for my death saying that, hey, I deserve the same fate as Jay Bishop. We didn't cover any of that because it is a hotbed of volatility, violence, and rage. But you really have to understand the landscape these days, guys. And so it is a blessing that I am here before you today. It is a blessing that we are able here to operate in this capacity, and it is a blessing to be in your lives. So even though I said uh, I'd, I'd get the show started, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> I, I, I just ranted a little bit. But uh, yeah, let's let's start this off right here. Michael Rowanall, suspect in Portland shooting, killed by officers during arrest. This comes from World News Daily, or World Net Daily. They put this up September 4th, this is last week. This is Michael Forrest Ryanhall sought out a warrant in the fatal weekend shooting of a man in downtown Portland after a pro-Trump rally was killed Thursday night in Washington as members of a federal fugitive task force tried to take him into custody. Uh, Officers with the U.S. Marshal Service Pacific Northwest Violent Offender Task Force were watching an apartment complex near Lacey where they believed Reinald was hiding out, according to the Marshal Service. Portland police had issued a warrant for Reinald's arrest on a murder charge earlier that day. Reinald walked out of the apartment about 7.30 p.m., authorities said. He ran to a station wagon parked outside the complex. Thurston County Sheriff's Lieutenant Ray Brady told the Oregonians, Ford slash Oregon Live. The officers trying to stop him fired rounds into the car, Brady said. Uh, the wagon was boxed in by officers' cars, prompting Reinald to run. He produced a gun and officers fired again, Brady said. Reinald died on the scene, died at the scene, his body lying in the street. Witnesses told the Olympia newspaper that they saw two SUVs pull up and then heard 30 to 50 shots. Two people said that they saw Ryan all begin to fire when he got out of the car. They said officers returned fire. Let's take a listen. Yeah, you see all those yellow markings? Those are bullets. They let loose on them. 
They didn't catch him. They shot him. Yeah. He, he laying on the ground right there. See, they're doing, yeah, you see them? They're doing CPR on him. Now, I don't know if this is because of, uh, maybe I've watched too many medical shows. Maybe I've listened to too many other people. I'm telling you, if y'all would have heard it, man, <laughs> it sounded like fireworks. That's how many shots. I was like, the fuck is going on out here? When they're, dead, man. when they're doing CPR on him like that, they're actually pumping more blood inside of him. They shot him that many times. Every time they're pushing that... <laughs> pushing they're they're pushing more and more blood out they're not they're not saving that man they're making sure he's dead they're making sure he's dead yeah i don't think he's gonna make it no he's not homie oh a, a dude's dead dude is dead and so this is the savagery uh that we are being desensitized to gang this is the new normal right that we should be used to masked assailants that we should be used to death we should be used to this. The crazy part is, prior to his death, a couple of hours, like I said before, Michael Rowanall did a quick uh, interview with Vice News, where he had the gumption to go up there saying, I had to shoot the guy. I mean, I didn't have to, but I did. I was trying to perfect, protect a friend of color. You guys can watch the clip. There's not a friend of color there, uh, but let's listen. Tonight. That's why I always suggest that I shouldn't really say anything, but I feel it's important that the world at least gets a little bit of what's really going on because there's been a lot of propaganda put out there. I had no choice. I mean, I, I, I had a choice. I could have sat there and watched them kill a friend of mine of color, but I wasn't going to do that. Oh, white knight Michael Rowan all to the rescue. Yeah, no, if you guys want to go look at that clip, you can definitely have it on our Instagram live. It is our Insta Instagram TV. It's definitely an interesting clip. Uh, but again, for him to have the gumption to go on Vice News a couple hours afterwards and try to get ahead of this after speaking with lawyers who I'm sure helped bail him out and all these other things, uh, the evidence is right there. It's just very crazy, these times that we're entering into. Uh, but check this out. America's summer exodus. Thousands flee the cities every day because they don't feel safe. So while you've got white knight virtue signaling people like Michael Rowanall and the virtue signaling social justice warriors known as Antifa thinking they're carrying out their own brand of justice, everybody else that's embracing common sense doesn't think so much. Let's take a listen. So vacancy rates are rising in the city as more and more people are choosing to leave New York for good. As Briella Tomasetti found, though, the coronavirus outbreak is not the only reason why some are choosing to make that change. I feel comfortable enough to stay in the city. I love New York City. Uh, the price isn't right, but we're here to fight. While some New Yorkers are choosing to ride out this uncertain time, others are contemplating leaving the city they love. For Sylvie Jordan, that thought has become a bittersweet reality. We are concerned about the second wave, and we just decided to, you know, plan and buy a home sooner than we had expected because of COVID. Jordan and her fiancé are packing their bags and flocking to the southern Connecticut suburbs. Which they feel is a safer environment during a pandemic. You just have your own space in a home versus in a building. So I think that was. I do. 
So vacancy rates are rising. I have a, a space in the garden and a gate. I'm not in a gated community, but um, I'm thinking about putting up some of my targets on the fence and saying we don't call comps. But um, let me let me read this a little bit because this plays a huge part in what we're going to be getting into here next. Um, 52% of millennials now living with their parents, the highest since the Greatest Depression. The video mentioned that they're moving simply because of COVID, but we know that's not all true. I covered this whenever we went over uh, what happened with Chaz Chop. How, of course, the business owners had to go along with it because they would have their windows bashed in if they didn't. Let me get into this article. This is from Tyler Durden over there at Zero Hedge. They put this up September 4th. It says, in modern American history, we've never seen such a mass exodus away from our major cities. Overall, the U.S. economy is complete disaster and total, a complete and total disaster in 2020, but moving companies and real estate agents that work are absolutely thriving right now. Each weekend, we are seeing long lines at U-Haul rental facilities. Moving companies can't handle all the requests that they are getting, and property values are shifting at a pace that is difficult to believe. Homes in our core urban areas are losing value very rapidly. And at the same time, we are seeing bidding wars for some rural suburban properties that are absolutely insane. I certainly can't blame anyone that wants to escape the violence. If I was living, if I was living in a major city that was being torn apart by violence, I would want to move too. At one time, we had uh, some of the be most beautiful cities in the world. But now the word, quote, apocalyptic is being used to describe them. The following comes from an article by Victor Davis Hanson. It says nine months ago, New York was thrive was a thrive was was a thriving, though poorly governed metropolis. It was coasting on on more or less good governance of its two prior mayors and on its ancestral role as the global nexus of finance and capital. The city is now something out of a postmodern apocalyptic movie, reeling from the effects of of a neutron bomb. Ditto in the varying degrees, Minneapolis, Portland, Seattle, and San Francisco. The anti-broken windows metropolis of America. Walking in San Francisco today reminds me of visiting old Cairo in 1973, although the latter lacked the needles and feces of the, of the former. Chicago is one of the cities that has been most affected by the violence, and the Chicago Tribune recently posted an article about how the mass exodus that the city is now experiencing. Yeah, uh, over the Labor Day weekend, I think there was like 50 shootings and 10 deaths. And again, we're just getting used to this background of violence, this chaos, this stuff that's just going on. So heck yeah, people are going to run out. Heck yeah, people are going to leave. And I was saying this the other day, that when they take away the raves, when they take away the Coachellas, when they take away the football, the sports, the gambling, when they take all that stuff away, the boozing, the cruising, the restaurants, when they take all that away and they only give you protests, that's usually what's going to end up happening. You see, they allowed for Chaz and Chop to go down, Black Lives Matter, and all these other demonstrations, but people couldn't get back to normal. And so what I'm really trying to say is that protests have become the new party. They have become the new rave. It's not like these people are actually going against the system as if they actually believe in any of the values that they have. They're just bored. They have nothing else to do. And they're being confronted with, new, with, with news all the time, and they're being emboldened to do things. Like I said before, uh, being allowed to protest for over 100 days straight and carry on as if nothing's wrong, what do you think is going to happen? I'll say this, and I'll get into my next article. Somebody called for my death saying that if I believed in the same type of uh, violence that the Proud Boys did, I deserve the same fate as Jay Bishop, the person that was shot. 
So people are allowed to protest for over 100 days straight, but the Proud Boys are unable to have a memorial for a fallen brother without being heckled by peaceful protesters. This is the type of mindset that we're confronting. But at the same time, it will fizzle itself out. Here, let me get into my next article to prove more of the point. This is not, um, this is a moment. This is a summer of rage. You see, right here, study. Riots have hit 48 out of 50 of the largest U.S. cities. This is written by Paul Joseph Watson over there at Summit.News. He put this up September 7th. Says 96% of major urban areas have seen violent unrest. This is a new study out of Princeton University reveals that 48 of the 50 largest cities in the United States have experienced riots associated with Black Lives Matter movement since late May. Despite the leftist media obsession with calling the fiery violence mostly peaceful, the data indicates that most cities are seeing some violent rest. The intent of this study appears to have been to bolster the mostly peaceful narrative as it notes that the perception of the trouble may have been influenced by, quote, political orientation and biased media framing, as well as, quote, disproportionate coverage of violent demonstrations. The findings are difficult to ignore, however, with almost every major city having experienced rioting. Of the biggest cities, only Fresno, California, and Mesa, Arizona have remained unaffected, according to the data. In addition, when extended to the largest 100 cities by population, the study found that 74% or 74 had experienced riots. Democrats completely ignored the unrest for months before polls indicated that, favor, indicated that favorability was tanking and they adopted this is Trump's America mantra. The rise of violence in largest cities is a contributing factor in ongoing exodus. A recent survey carried out by the Manhattan Institute found that two in five New Yorkers want to leave the city. Figures show that shootings have doubled and murders are up 50% on the same period last year in New York. And so what I'm telling you, just last year, right around this time frame, when I went to the protest, Proud Boy protest to wave a flag, it's like me and 50, like maybe at, at most 15 men against a mob of 200. Can you guys understand what I'm trying to paint to you now? When I talk about hexafascist, when I talk about the, the different waves of strangeness that I was confronted by, I'll put the link in the description bar below if you guys want to listen to it. You're more than welcome to because it, it, it's kind of crazy to see how things have evolved. You're more than welcome to put it there. Uh, I'll, I'll let you guys uh, take your time checking it out. But here is an article that perfectly exemplifies what we're talking about. And before I get into it, I have to let you guys not let you guys know i think deep down you already understand that a lot of this type of behavior is being green lit i talked about it before we've even reached this point the lawlessness summoning the authoritarianism before even going into the weekend there was an article from now the end begins talking about a 50-day siege on the white house so this is being coordinated this is being executed at such a sophisticated level that that that, that it's almost mind-blowing it, it, it truly is. Uh, but here is another article exemplifying everything I'm trying to get across to you guys. Right here. Portland mayor admits Antifa are terrorizing families with children, but refuses to call the feds. So I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not all for the authoritarian response. But again, when you let this lawlessness continue, 
when you let it fester, it's going to get worse. It says, uh, this is by Baxter Dimitri. They put this up seven, September 7th over there at News Punch. It says, Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler has had a serious problem with Antifa riots in his city for more than 100 nights and counting. But the leftist mayor is not just going to do anything about it except beg them to stop rioting. Wheeler, whose own apartment building was a target of Antifa riots and arson this week, has made a big deal of refusing federal help from President Trump, criticizing the POTUS in an open letter for even bothering to offer. However, the far-left Democratic mayor wants everyone to also know that the rioters in his city are, quote, terrorizing families with children, and he would kindly like them to stop. The statement decrying rioters conveniently appeared on his Facebook page after they attempted to set his condominium building ablaze Monday night. Western Journal reports that after this, Mayor Wheeler made it clear that this sort of behavior was unacceptable. In a Facebook post Tuesday, Wheeler wrote that, quote, Last night we saw more senseless violence in, in Portland. Another minority-owned local business was destroyed by a violent group of individuals. A police officer was filmed repeatedly st striking an individual at a protest. Even the building where I live, along with dozens of other families, was violently attacked. Quote, these acts range from stupid to dangerous to criminal. The violence must stop. None of this should sit well with any thinking Portlander. Arson and terrorizing families with children does, not, does nothing except steal and distract from the important message of the racial justice movement. It's, it's unclear who was, quote, terrorizing families with children, although he could have presumably been referring to the families in his condo complex. And other families across, you know, Portland, other families across, like, the nation. Because, again, they see this stuff and they think, shucks, I got nothing else to do tonight. Why don't I go protest? It's like whenever all this stuff started going down, they were trying to tear down statues down here and start to do the, the George Floyd protests. I went out for one night trying to do like surveillance on the on, on the organization. I saw like the white dudes handing the white organizers handing this black dude like the megaphone. And I was so tired from doing like all my recon stuff that night. I couldn't come before you guys the next day and and and, and break it down. Somebody's organizing this. Somebody's greenlighting this behavior. You get me? That's the dangerous part. But see, I don't think this type of stuff, this, this type of stuff can only happen when, again, people are bored and have nothing else to do. If they're not being productive members of society, if they're not st stuck on drugs, doing all kinds of other crazy stuff. You got to think about this. Check this out right here. A record 52% of millennials now live with their parents, the highest since the Great Depression. This is over there at Activist Post. They put this up September 7th. And before we get into this, think about this, guys. That 52% of millennials that are living with their parents, I went over it earlier this week. Some of these wealthy people who are 20-something years old. Who, who, who are being, again, emboldened by their parents to say, go ahead and go out there and go do these things. I let you guys know about a personal experience in my own life where somebody was kind of doing the same thing. A lot of the people who are doing these protests and this, de and this destabilization, they live with their parents. They are basement dwellers. And the ones that aren't basement dwellers are being organized and financed by foreign interests. And the ones that aren't being organized and financed by foreign interests are being used by, by, by domestic insurgency. It's getting to a point now to where we're, where we're doing so much resistance, we're degenerating. This is a socioeconomic reformation. 
And on top of that, we know a lot. I'm, I'm sure we all know somebody that lives with their parents and literally absorbs every single dollar, every meal, every energy, everything. And they have nothing wrong with this. They see nothing wrong with being better. And I, and I, and I know there's a stigma attached to this, but this is, this, this is, this is crazy. And I know a lot of this also comes from COVID, right? But there's just, there's just so many different things to look at with just this alone. Uh, again, a couple factoids for you guys. 11 million evictions over the next four months, now three months, right? Half of all working age men not having a job. Uh, as you see right here, 52% of millennials now living with their parents, the highest since the Great Depression. A lot of the storefronts are not coming back. Really, really take the time to understand what's going on. Um, I'll say this and I'll get into the article. There's a, 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 a business insider article that talks about 16 jobs that are booming in this post, in this pandemic world. I'll attach it to this episode article. If you guys are curious, like I said before, use this time to develop a new skill, teach yourself something new. Life is a series of different languages, reading and writing are different things. Take the time to teach yourself something new. Uh, but let's get in this article. Like I said, it comes from Activist Post. They put this up September 7th, and it says, uh, Wall Street and the Trump administration have been in no rush to acknowledge the deep economic scarring from the virus-induced downturn that is set to prolong the recovery well into 2021. Readers, by now, understand the probabilities of a V-shaped recovery for the real economy for the remainder of 2020 are quickly fading. Stories of permanent job loss and the collapse of small businesses are gaining traction in the mainstream press in September as the stock market rolls over. Another dose of economic reality cold or could stun Americans as the total number of young adults living at home has just surpassed levels not seen since the 1930s Great Depression. A new report via Pew Research Center explains a record amount of young folks have moved back home because uh, the virus pandemic has crippled their finances. As of July, 52% of millennials were, were living at home, up from, fe- from 47% in February. Uh, at least 2.6 million youngsters over the February to July period returned home, pushing up the total to 26.2 million. Now, before I get back into this, let me kind of humanize this number. Just let me see if I can kind of, kind of, so think about it. You're back home, you know, you're, you're kind of down on your luck and your friends that never left home are still hanging out at home. They're still radicalized. They still have their views. You're trying to just, you know, come back home, figure out your, your next move. Imagine hanging out with your buddies who are part of Antifa. Do you, do you see where I'm going with this? hanging out with buddies who were Antifa who didn't really ever leave and are comfortable living at home with mom and dad. You see some of the, some of the friction that's going to come from there. There's a lot of crazy stuff that's going to happen in the economy. And I think it's going to be a powder keg is what I'm trying to say. Um, but here, let me get back into this to continue on. It says that the number and share of young adults living with their parents grew across the board for all major racial and ethnic groups, men and women, and metropolitan and rural residents, as well as all four main census regions. Growth was the sharpest for the youngest adults, 18 to 24, and for young white adults. The share of young adults living with their parents broke out to new highs 
The previous record was set at 48% in 1940, according to Pew data, which was one year into World War II. The increase in youngsters moving back home was seen across all races, genders, and regions. White millennials moved home at a faster rate from 42% in February to 49% in July. Black youngsters, 50 to 55%, Asians, 46 to 51%, and Hispanic people, 55 to 58%, all experienced noticeable increases. Quote, young adults have been particularly hit hard by this year's pandemic and economic downturn and have been more likely to move than any other age group, the study adds. And so, yeah, man, we're screwed. We're the generation that has to inherit all this debt, this record. We have to pay back these these stimulus packages. We have to pay back this debt. The dollar is being devalued. Heck, yeah. You know, uh, we're, we're, we're coming up on uh, 9-11, right? The 19-year anniversary of 9-11. The one episode that was taken down off of Spotify is whenever I compared COVID-19 to the new 9-11 and how uh, we're, we're on World Trade Tower 7. We've already passed World Trade Center Tower 1 and 2. That was the initial outbreak in China and then the global outbreak. The tower that nobody paid attention to, World Trade Tower 7, is the socioeconomic implications of such a virus of shutting down the economy, of people not working, of saying, you know what, we're going we're, we're, we're gonna to shut down food processing plants, we're going we're gonna to abort baby pigs, we're going to kill chickens, we're going to dump out all the, mo- all, all the milk, we're going to burn crops. you got to think about all this stuff, guys. So it's not just the kids, it's not just the millennials who are facing this type of stuff, it's everybody. And so when I say we've been beaten down, we've been broken, we've been diminished, we've been disenfranchised from our power, a lot of that is done by design. You know, I'll say this and I'll start getting into this next article. You know, I'm not that smart. I'm really not. But in the face of what we're confronted with, I feel like I got to smarten up. I got to act right. I look at all this stuff that's going on and I literally cannot afford to be liberal. I'm not, I don't want to say like I'm a conservative or a Republican either, but if I'm trying to think, I think about things in reality, looking at all these facts, I literally cannot afford these mindsets. I can't afford the luxury of laziness. I can't afford these, 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 these living on a flight of emotions. Yes, I am open-minded and compassionate, but people don't seem to think about what it takes to get to this point, fighting tooth and nail. You get me? I think I've only become what, what people consider a conservative out of necessity. You don't think I wish I'd had all these nice things? It's only rich people that have that luxury to be liberal. And they want you to be liberal too so you can give them your money. Give them your power. Not me. Nope. Not me. I'm going to hold on to my little bits. That's for sure. Uh, but here, check this out. Left plotting apocalyptic mass public unrest if Biden loses, this is written by Sean on the lobby over there at News Punch. They put this up September 9th. And before I get into this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to travel back to the start of the year because we can do that. Back to January where we had some Bernie bros. You guys remember Bernie Sanders, right? Where we had some Bernie bros talking about burning things down. If, if, if Bernie lost. And how gulags were cool, bro. I can't wait to run these gulags, these concentration camps, these FEMA centers. You see, it's going to be Antifa. It's going to be these type of people who are doing the contact tracing, the running of the FEMA camps, and all this other stuff. 
I'll read a little bit of this and then I'll pull up that clip for you guys. Uh, it says a federation of anti-Trump far left groups is secretly plotting to mobilize and prepare for what is envisioned as a, quote, political apocalypse full of violence if Joe Biden fa- fails to win the presidency on November 3rd. Quote, occupy shit, hold space and shut things down, not just on Election Day, but for weeks. An anonymous source said in describing the Federation's efforts, nicknamed the Democracy Defense Nerve Center. The radical group discussed their plans in secret during a Zoom virtual meeting. Fools. It could be recorded. Referring to the secret meeting, the Daily Beast noted, of course, the two. Over the course of two hours, participants broached the question of what the politi- of what the progressive political ecosystem can functionally do in a series of election scenarios. They began charting out what it would take to stand up a multi-state communications arm to fight disinformation, a training program for nonviolent c- civil disobedience, and the underpinnings of what one official described as, quote, mass public unrest. Right.com reports an unarmed aide to the Biden camp or an unnamed aide to the Biden campaign told the Daily Beast that it is aware of the concerns expressed by many of these leftist groups that are, quote, actively planning for all contingencies and scenarios. Before officials can get a chance to tally the votes, the FBT alliance is pushing the Democratic assumption that the election will be illegitimate absent a huge Biden victory. The leftist coalition is explicitly making preparations to deal with a situation where the, quote, November election ends without a clear outcome or with a Joe Biden win that Donald Trump refuses to recognize, the Daily Beast noted. So I'm going to play that quick clip for you guys before we come back to this, because what we're literally hearing is our election system being thrown out of the window, that even if they got a response that they didn't like, they were going to hear civil unrest. And you already have Mark Zuckerberg coming out saying that it's going to take a couple weeks <laughs> for them to get the election results. So uh, hitting, hitting the time travel machine, this is a Bernie organizer saying that, quote, I'll straight up get armed. The second Bernie organizer loves gulags and is, and is, quote, ready for the effing revolution. Here's this clip from Project Veritas. I always said non-communist. I'm ready to start tearing bricks up and start fighting. I'm not. I'm a no cop, bro. I'm, I'll straight up get arms out and just learn how to shoot and do trains. I'm ready to start revolution, alright? Call me. Guillotine the rich. I always said that I'm a communist. So, can we just seize? Can we just dissolve in the Senate, House of Representatives, the Green Branch, and have somebody like Bernie Sanders and a cabinet of people make all the decisions for the climate? I mean, I'm serious. Yeah. 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 Well, what happens when we send all the Republicans to the free education? <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine Mitch McConnell? Construction began on the Bellamy Corral, 1931. According to officials, up to 25,000 workers died during the construction. And the Corrals became a lot more political as they went on. It was a tool. It's like a boogeyman. You know what? We have more people in prison in this country right now than Russia did at the height of the war. We do. It's a, that's a, that's a fact. I only learned this 
it was not Weisberger, Martin Weisberger, talking about getting trained, and that was in January, getting trained and ready for the revolution. That was in January, my friends. This is only eight months down the line, and look at how radicalized things are. September 11th is, well, tomorrow, you're today, whenever you're listening to it. Let me get back into this. This is them talking about revolution. This is them talking about creating a, a COG, a continuity of government, of, a, of, of overthrowing the government, of creating an occupied, an occupied political group. It's crazy because here we are. This is the civil war. This is the, this is the, the civil unrest, the second American revolution. And who do, you, who do you think is funding them? That's why they're saying Joe Biden or why China would love for Joe Biden. That's unfortunately why we're having this whole polarization campaign go on. Ah, let me get into this. It says the leftist coalition is explicitly, make, ex- explicitly making preparations to deal with the situation where the, quote, November election ends without a clear outcome or with a Joe Biden win that Donald Trump refuses to recognize. The Daily Beast noted, quote, inside the coalition, there is a dispute over whether Biden should even concede if he wins the popular vote, like Hillary Clinton said, but loses the Electoral College, the news outlet acknowledged. In that event, the coalition may take a page from the election, quote, war games report by the vehemently anti-Trump transition integrity project, which urges Biden to push Western states, namely California and Oregon, to, quote, secede from the union unless their potential demands for reforms, abolishing the Electoral College, dividing California into five states and statehood for Puerto Rico and D.C. are met. The Daily Beast indicated. So we're literally talking about civilly. Civil war. We are casually talking about civil war. And so whenever I'm saying, who do you think's financing this? Who wants all this type of stuff to go down? Who's funding this insurrection in our country? This is the type of stuff that we have to ask questions of. Hardworking people are asking what in good God's name is happening because this is being funded against us. Our openness is being used against us. And I hate to sound like a politician or like a conservative or like anybody buying into the left-right paradigm, but check this out right here. Trump moles decoupling the U.S. from China, saying that if Biden wins, China will own this country. Now, I don't think it's that extreme, but I can understand why he's saying that. President Xi Jinping has also said that Biden is their president. Let's take a listen. If Biden wins, China will own this country, and hopefully you're not going to be able to find that out. It's the most important election in our history right now. Most important election in our history. Under my administration, we will make America into the manufacturing superpower of the world, and we'll end our reliance on China once and for all. Whether it's decoupling or putting in massive tariffs like I've been doing already, we're going to end our reliance on China because we can't rely on China. 
And I don't want them building a military like they're building right now. They're using our money to build it. We'll manufacture our critical medical supplies in the United States. If by Very interesting. Well, this is over there at Zero Ahead. They put this up September 7th. It says tapping into the candidate of the 2016 campaign who repeatedly pledged to, quote, bring back U.S. companies to American soil. The president has made some bomb Labor Day remarks strongly hinting at decoupling the U.S. and China, Chinese economies. Quote, so when you mention the word decouple, it's an interesting word. Trump introduced at the White House news conference and added, quote, we lose billions of dollars. And if we didn't do business with them, we would lose billions of dollars. It's called decoupling. So you'll start thinking about it, he said. He had noted that China is buying more U.S. agricultural products, suggesting that Americans lost wouldn't be so great if a dramatic strategy was pursued. He further, te- he further teased the possibility that American companies that can outsource to China won't get crucial access to federal contracts, though it appears he is in the process of, quote, thinking about it, as many news outlets sourced. Further in this theme, he said that the U.S. economy, that if it reelected, will, quote, make America a manufacturing superpower, he called it, quote, the most important election in history, given that if Biden was if, that if Biden wins, China will own this country. There are so many things going on with this that we do need patriotism, that we do need to bring back a spirit of 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 patriotism, that we need to bring back pride in your country, that we would actually want to be productive members of society, that we don't need to destroy everything. It's a classic Marxist communist thought process it's a classic like illuminati thought process as well a luciferian scorched earth policy where you burn everything so you can rule on the ashes and 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 recreate it order from chaos but you see rather than going down that route why don't we just push for more order why don't we just push for more logic why don't we push for more understanding it's a different discussion for a different day which we'll save for the last segment uh, what I want to do to begin to close this episode out for you guys is bring up this uh, this quick clip of these of these these proud boys that went out there to Portland, Oregon, to confront Antifa. They wanted to have basically a memorial recognizing their fallen brother Jay Bishop, uh, and they were confronted. Now, the reason I'm playing this is because it currently has 93,000 views on the page. It was taken down. I reposted it. They recognize my appeal they put it back up but what's even more important about playing this is not the tit-for-tat mindset of the left-right paradigm but pointing out the fact that we can't see any pushback against these communists the fact that this upsets people and i can understand that people saying oh look at these terrorists oh look at this white on white crime i understand that but these are cowardly comments from people who actually are on there being hybrid activists with foots on the ground being boots on the ground We are literally letting people protest for over a hundred days straight and people can't even have a a memorial or any kind of pushback without this setting off red flags. That should set off a red flag right there. That's what we mean by totalitarian. That's what we mean by resistance is existence. So here, let me play this quick clip and then we'll, uh, we'll close out this segment. Get off you fucking pussy! Here, get this out. 
Because this literally happened to me like a year ago, I guess I'm a little bit more sympathetic. I wasn't I wasn't sitting on my hands when I was trying to confront Antifa. You guys can go listen to that episode in the description bar below. You can go see what's going on. But this is what's happening. People are trying to stand up not only for their rights, but yours as well. And they're being criminalized. And that's okay. Because what's going to end up happening is you're going to create vigilantes. And I don't say that that's a good thing. I'm going to say rule of law is going to be thrown out of the wind because people won't respect rule of law. And then you have lawlessness versus lawlessness with authoritarianism. People getting disappeared off of the streets because they want to quiet things. It is going to be very, very crazy uh, from here on out. So, no, I don't necessarily agree with the tactics or the methods, but I do agree that we need to have some type of pushback. Otherwise, these people think that they can carry these things out unabated. This is what happens when people chat in the comments, say a whole bunch of nonsense, and then don't expect any repercussions. You take that type of mindset out there in the real world, you'll get smacked in the mouth for being disrespectful. So to close out this segment on a real more serious note, let's get into this right here. Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg is talking about how Americans need to accept the election result and how that could take weeks to confirm. So I just briefly went over a clip with you guys of Antifa, of a couple of Proud Boys chasing off Antifa. The man that called for my death said that Antifa came back and then chased out the Proud Boys. And so a little bit of what you guys saw right there is going to take place over the next couple months. Like I read you last week about 50-day siege on the White House starting now. They're planning for mass public unrest, mass civil unrest. There's going to be chaos, blood in the streets. And Mark Zuckerberg is talking about how, hey, you guys are going to have to accept this. We're going to have interim presidents. We're going to have two different elections. It's going to be crazy. But here, let me play this quick clip for you, because basically what we're talking about is a scientific dictatorship assuming control. One of the things that I think we and and, um, other media need to start doing is preparing um, the American people that um, there's nothing illegitimate about this election taking additional days or even weeks Um, to make sure that all the votes are counted. In fact, that might be important to make sure that this is a legitimate um, and fair election. So we're going to do a a bunch of different messaging around that just to make sure that people know that that's normal. So if one of the um, candidates in in any of the races claims victory before there's um, a consensus result, then we're going to add some informational context to that post directly saying that that there, there's no consensus result yet. I, I think that this is important because there is, unfortunately, I, I think, a heightened risk of, um, of civil unrest in, in the period you know, between, uh, between voting and, and a result being called or, or, or after that. And I, I just think that we need to be doing everything that we can to uh, reduce the chances of violence or civil unrest in the, in the wake of this election. If that were to happen, would Facebook be blamed in part? 
Um, well, I, I can't speak to, to what other people would do, but I, I think we're, we're trying to make sure that we do our part to make sure that um, that none of this is, is organized on Facebook. We want to make sure that none of that stuff is, is happening on, on our services. Um, but you know, the, the country is, is very charged right now, so I, I think regardless of what we do, there's some chance that this happens um, across the country. I, I just want to make sure that we do our part to not contribute to it. Oh, yeah. One of the things... Oh, yeah. He wants to make sure that he is not held responsible whenever the country goes to hell in a handbasket. Uh, but we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about COVID nonsense. We're going to be breaking down the pandemic dissidents. What's going on from the land down under? We're still trying to get connected with some of our contacts out there. Uh, we have the opposition essentially being arrested and visited by the secret police. Yeah, people being disappeared. This is a very real thing. Uh, RFK Jr. in the Children's Health Defense suing the University of California for making the flu shot mandatory, as well as a whistleblower from uh, California talking about door-to-door contact tracing. Very, very sketchy stuff. Uh, very, very interesting world we're creating here. We're going to be talking about this and more on the other side. COVID-1984 is coming up. Ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. This is Freedom Faction over here on Factions of Freedom. And we'll be right back. Right after this. Understand what's going on around you. You are in a state of war. And you have precious little time to save yourself. It's a slow process, which we call active measures. The first stage being demoralization from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. The next stage is destabilization. What matters is essentials. Economy, foreign relations, defense systems. The next stage is crisis with a violent change of power, structure and economy, period of normalization. This is what will happen in the United States if you allow all the schmucks to put a big brother government in Washington, D.C., who will promise lots of things, never mind whether the promises are fulfilled or not. Time bomb is ticking, but every second the disaster is coming closer and closer. The danger is real.
and we're back. That's right. Not from outer space, not from cyberspace, but from inner space. We are back. You know, I wonder, uh, because we're going to be talking about dissident thought process, you know, social credit score style stuff and so many other things. I wonder how much longer I'll be here. I really do, you know, because it's not so much that they're coming. It's, it's, it's not me that they're coming after. It's you guys. It's everybody else. You know, I'm, 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 pro- I'm, I'm probably already in a database somewhere. I'm probably being monitored to some degree. I'm probably being surveilled. I'm probably being put in some type of social credit score system, no doubt. Um, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, it's like whenever they try to say that, oh, you're a white supremacist with these views that you have. I'm, you know, how does this make you feel? I'm like, it doesn't really affect me unless you're going to make it affect me. Unless you're going to do something that, that, that would make that type of designation uh, hurt me in a disadvantaged type of way. It has, so far, it hasn't hurt me. But I really do wonder for how much longer I'll be here uh, and what, what type of other things I'll be allowed to do. You know, and I say that because just last week I talked to you guys about Noahide laws and um, uh, moral development and how this was an aspect of Agenda 2030, you know. They want to change the entire landscape of everything in the future. Like everything. I wanted to mention this in the previous segment, but isn't it crazy how they just like radicalize people, how they politicized academic academia for a year, radicalized people, politicized it, shut down school and said, all right, kids, there's no more school unless you're doing it online. Get out there in the streets. And so now, you know, you have like a, a, a bunch of radicalized, politicized liberal people out there in the street um, trying to externalize the hierarchy, externalize what they've been taught. And while that's happening on one degree, you're having a whole separate generation of people buying into the new agenda. And what I mean by that is the kids who are returning to college, who have to wear the face masks, uh, who have to engage in facial recognition software, who have to get used to being like socially engineered. It's just crazy because you're seeing like two different agendas go on um, and, 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 and it's just it's just happening so fast. And so when I talk about moral development, Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, education, this is how they're going to transform America. This is how they're going to transform America. The Karens come from school. The Karens come from not having anything else to do. They're, they're going to be the contact tracers. Who do you think the, this, this next generation is going to be? It's very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, so here, to go ahead and start this episode, I'm going to pull up this clip, this post that we put up before coming on to the air. It comes from Paul Joseph Watson over there at Summit.News. Chinese government combines track and trace corona system with a social credit score. As if we didn't see that happening. It says that the Communist government of China has combined its coronavirus track and trace system with the country's notorious social credit score. As if we didn't see that happening. And, and we know, to a degree, it's going to come here in America. Uh, what, we, what we'll get into when I play that clip for you guys uh, from the contact tracer whistleblower, she talks about how CERT came to her door, the Community Emergency Response Team, and how when she denied 
the vaccine and denied giving off personal information, she was sure that that got entered into a, into a database. When I use the phrase COVID-1984, it's me really trying to paint the picture of the socioeconomic and the socio-political transformation that's taking place. Uh, but let's play this quick clip, this quick clip, and then we'll continue on. First off, what was considered an unreasonable fear in many countries around the world when it comes to contact tracing, you know, which is being used to help control the novel coronavirus, the idea that this could, for example, be used for totalitarian social monitoring. Well, this has now become a reality in China. The local government of China's Jiangsu province has launched a new social control system that combines the CCP's health code program with the regime's social credit system to create what they're calling a, quote, civilization code. This new system wow. gives people a civilization score, which ranks them into different levels. And this level is then used by the government to judge who gets priority or who should be subjected to restrictions wow. or punishments. Now, the system appears to function like an expanded version of the existing social credit system. It's being rolled out currently in Suzhou, which is a major city of that province. It will apply to everyone over 18 years old. First wow. off, what was considered an unreal... That is crazy. Uh, as the Epoch Times, as Joshua Phillip explains, the fears that the new COVID surveillance system would be used for totalitarian social monitoring are being realized in China. Quote, the local government of China's Jiangsu province has launched a new social control system that combines the CCP's health code program with the regime's social credit score system to create what they're calling a civilization code. Technocratic social class systems. Oh, you're 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 a part of that red class, huh? Oh, I'm a part of that green class. I wouldn't know about that lifestyle. Sorry. <laughs> I don't it, I don't know about that red lifestyle. I'm over here on the green. I'm, I, I, I know in my mindset, it's probably backwards. Red because, you know, communist China. Red red is probably good. Green is probably bad. But you get what I'm saying. It's a technocratic social class system. The social credit score system. Pre-crime. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about minority report being rolled out. Artificial intelligence being used to reduce recidivism amongst prisoners. This is crazy. This is social credit score. What happens, and this is, it's biblical at this point, <laughs> what happens when you are literally confronted with the mark of the beast that you will neither be able nor to buy, buy nor sell without receiving the mark? Just last year, when they first got this thing up, they were gloating and boasting how they were able to stop uh, millions of people for going on the train for not having the social credit score. And whenever this whole lockdown thing happened over there in China, they made it mandatory for people to go ahead and get those contact tracing apps on their phone, their API, their APK, their, back, their backdoor programs, their backdoor in, uh, built-in apps that allow for other apps to be downloaded to where they can gather your biometric data. That's why, like, it's becoming increasingly important for people to have, like, pocket protectors, those anti-EMF Wi-Fi shielding stickers, have, like, a, a Faraday cage, right? Like, we don't have time to get into the preparations necessary for, like, protecting your identity and stuff like this, but it's a very real thing. We're not talking about block, blockchain and Bitcoin and stuff like this, but what we are talking about is the socioeconomic and the sociopolitical reformation, the technocracy. This is a lot of what Bill Gates is working on behind the scenes, uh, creating a digital certificate, right? 
Isn't that what COVID stands for? The certificate, certificate of vaccine identification. You really got to understand the very, very crazy world uh, that they are creating. So getting into this episode, or at least getting into some of the information from this episode, uh, just, or the segment, just last week, we posted about how uh, a mother was being taken an hour, an hour before her ultrasound. Her, her a mother in Australia was arrested for, missing, for, for posting about an anti-Facebook or an anti-lockdown protest on Fedbook. She was arrested. We played the clip for you guys. If not, you can go back and watch it on our page or watch it on the episode or go to the episode article and find it there and watch it. That was last week. The same thing happened. They paid a visit to 80 other people during that time frame. 80 other people were able to help send shockwaves around the world. What I'm going to play for you guys next is a clip of the same stuff that happened during the same time frame of another protest organizer arrested. I guess, again, because I'm always saying in Lakesh, the Aboriginal word, the Australian Aboriginal word for the phrase that I am another you. I look at these individuals and I can't help but think of myself arrested for incitement. Atrocious. Uh, but here, this comes from Signs of the Time. They put this up September 4th. It says COVID dissent violently arrested after backing Melbourne anti-lockdown protest tells Facebook followers not to go. Toilers? Yeah, I've just gotten up. What, what, what? Are you going to open the door, yes or no? Give me a minute. Well, what is this in regards to? What's it in regards to? You haven't told me anything. Incitement. Incitement for what? You know you've been, you've spoken to your colleagues online or no? I told them not to go to the protest. Well, I'm telling you right now. I can speak to you right now. Why do you want me to open the door? I'm speaking to you guys right now. What? 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 Just explain what you're doing first, and then perhaps I'll comply easily. Are you just yelling? You, you got people everywhere. Explain. Explain. Just talk to me properly. Like, what? What is going on? You've just rocked up with force. Got no idea. Like early in the morning, can you just explain, and then I will open the door. What? 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 what what's it to do with? Yeah. Hold, hold on. What's it to do with, though? What have I done? But you didn't tell me. Yeah. Okay. Search warrant for what? What? What, what are you suspecting me of doing? He said he's going to come downstairs, he's not, so... Yeah, to do with what? No, if you, if you do that, I will charge every single one of you. I'll take you to court and you're going to lose. Look, look at that no trespassing sign, yeah? There's seven court case precedents from the Supreme and High Courts of Australia. Yeah, because I'm trying to talk to you first. You're not telling me what you're doing. Yeah, what's it? Search warrant for what? What, what gives you the authority to have a search warrant? Well, you do that. You know what? Leave my shit! Don't break my stuff, you fucking retard! Hey! Stop breaking my shit! Leave my shit! Whoa, whoa, whoa! Okay! Alright, stop! I'm stunned! Okay! Authoritarians. Toilet? 
Yeah, I'm... I wonder. I, I legit do wonder when they come for me. When they'll come for me, what I'll be able to say, if I'll be able to say anything, if you guys will see me again. I legit do wonder, but uh, let's get it in this. It says that days after a pregnant mother was arrested for, quote, inciting an anti-lockdown protest, Melbourne police came after a self-described, quote, freedom fighter who runs a COVID-19 conspiracy network. The dramatic arrest was caught on film. James Bartolo, a former soldier, bodybuilder, and a man who, in his own words, fights against the corrupt and failed system during the COVID-19 lockdown, live stream a video of himself arguing with police on his doorstep early in the morning. The law enforcers, among them armed, uniformed officers, demanded that he open the door and let them serve a search warrant for allegedly inciting an anti-lockdown protest planned for this Saturday in Melbourne. Bartolo countered by saying that he had, quote, told people not to go on his Facebook page, but the team pushed forward and threatened to enter by force. Quote, you were illegally trespassing and you will be charged. If you break anything, you will be prosecuted. The man shouts from the balcony, but the lead detective seemed to be in no mood to, heal, to hear the legal argumentation. Quote, opening the door and I'll force it. I'm not playing a game. He could be heard saying, just as his colleague, ready to hammer to smash the door open. Yeah, so rule of law is going right out the window. Black Lives Matter and Antifa can sit there and protest for just like days on end. But heaven forbid somebody actually get together, organize with their organize with local people nationwide and help try to counter this. Again, this is another reason why I had posted about um, about about Antifa experiencing resistance from the Proud Boys, man. People don't seem to understand that we have got to resist the same way that you have Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan saying that these people protesting are terrorists. This is this is this is atrocious. We need to create narratives that that, that, that humanize people that bring awareness to this. My God, it's crazy. You're literally breaking inside of people's houses and detaining them. Another clip I'm going to play for you guys is this of, of, of this reporter out there in Australia covering those protests Avi Yamini, I think his last name is, and he's just detained the minute that he gets there. And what's crazy is when he's detained, he's visited later on by the police and they threaten him. But before we do that, check this out right here. This is some of the psychosis that's going on. Lockdown supporters are using psychology pseudoscience to label anti-maskers as irrational and stupid sociopaths. I'm sure you guys saw that happen. Uh, that people that don't wear their masks are probably narcissists or psychopaths or sociopaths. What this essentially is, is a uh, Stockholm syndrome. These are people who believe in Big Brother. These are people that are saying, heck yes, you should arrest these dissenters. Heck yes, arrest these individuals who don't have a mask. This is insane. This is what happens when you begin to arrest your opposition for people, that, arrest your opposition and silence the people that don't agree with you. This is put up uh, by Sons of the Time. They put this up September 4th. It says, why are people who refuse to conform to COVID-19 rules being condemned as having personality disorders and of being morally inferior? Because their attackers see these terms as carrying the weight of science, but it's poppycock. These days, psychology is often applied as an ideological tool or an ideological weapon to be wielded against political opponents. So I was not surprised to read a study that claimed that the people who refuse to wear masks or comply with social distancing rules are likely to have sociopathic symptoms. 
In other words, they're sick people. According to the Brazilian researchers who conducted the study, antisocial traits such as low levels of empathy and high levels of callousness, deceitfulness, and risk-taking behavior or risk-taking characterize those people who refuse to wear masks. Once upon a time, these antisocial traits were associated with people who were called bad or malevolent. Today, psychological terms such as sociopath are used to pathologize, pathologize people who you don't like. Why? Because psychology enjoys the authority of science and gives legitimacy to a point of view. Consequently, the diagnosis that someone is a sociopath is seen by many as not just an, just an opinion, but a statement of scientific fact. I'm going to pause right there and just point out that since COVID-19, the signs of depression have tripled. Researchers have reported that the percentage of Americans experiencing symptoms of depressions has tripled since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, while we're talking about psychological disorders, people losing their mind, as I mentioned at the start of the show, it is Suicide Prevention Day. <laughs> If you guys want that number, it's 1-800-273-8255. That number again is 1-800-273-8255. And the reason I say that is because I know people are crazy. I know people are losing their mind. I know it. They've been beaten. They've been broken down. They've lost their mind. But I won't go out there and say they're sociopaths. I won't go out there and say they're psychopaths. What, what's even more crazy about this whole scientific dictatorship is the fact that I have what could be considered as ODD, opposition defiant disorder. It's a real thing for not going along with the program. I'm sure they would say that, that I have narcissistic or sociopathic tendencies because I don't want to be a slave because I don't believe somebody that changes their thought process and their science as quickly as they change their emotions and their underwear. I don't think I should follow that. Real, real talk, opposition defined disorder, look it up. They actually uh, gave a child, I forget in what state, they gave a child in juvenile detention hormone injections, estrogen shots, because he had opposition defined disorder, because he was too unruly. You get where I'm going with this kind of mindset? Let me continue on. It is not only opponents of mask wearing or the policing of COVID-19 who stand condemned by the science of psychology. In recent times, the authority of science has been used to call into question the motives, of, the motives and behavior of people supporting Brexit and other populist causes. According to Time magazine, quote, psychology made the Brexit vote inevitable. It claims that psychologists haven't been the slightest surprised by the outcome of the referendum, which was, quote, primarily a function of the irrational ways of the human mind. The statement that psychology made Brexit inevitable allows supporters of this outlook to support the claim that anyone who voted to leave the EU was likely to be irrational and stupid. In this way, the very real aspiration for dem democratic control that inspired a significant section of the Brexit supporting electorate is recast as an outcome of psychological confusion. People who are not happy wearing masks or who vote for Brexit or demonstrate habits that are labeled as, quote, populist are not simply criticized, but are psychologically devalued as morally inferior people. Almost seamlessly, a, psycho a psychological diagnosis interweaves with moral condemnation. As a political commentator, Ivan Krasinov noted, quote, the rise of populist parties are a rule invites psycholo 
The rise of populist parties, as a rule, invites psychological or even psychoanalytical interpretations. Commenters, consciously or unconsciously, are tempted to analyze populism in terms of the return of the repressed, traumas, frustration, or status anxieties. Psychological explanations of the motives and the behaviors of people supporting Brexit and other populist causes invariably insist that whatever drove them to adopt this conclusion, it was not rational calculation. Statements like, quote, Brexit was fueled by rational xenophobia, not economic grievances, draws attention to the primitive impulses that dominate the populist mindset. Numerous commentators claim that it is, ra- that it is rage and not reason that motivates citizens whose voting beha- behavior they despise. Yeah, we're, we're, we're finding sophisticated ways to label our opposition stupid. We are finding sophisticated ways to not quiet our opposition, but shout down those that we don't agree with. This is what happens when the Overton window changes. But here, let me bring up something else that's a little bit more important to you guys, a little bit more prevalent. This is the lockdown psychology. This is, this is people using pseudoscience saying that mask wearers need to be arrested. The people that don't go along with COVID-1984 are delusional. This is something we've covered throughout all of it. And now you have riot police dragging a journalist to the ground, arresting him for covering an anti-lockdown protest in Australia. It's gravy. Yeah, Rebel Media's Avi Yamini was doing a piece to camera at an anti-lockdown Freedom March protest in Melbourne on Saturday when he was suddenly approached by a police commander. Just walk right up. So there's been numerous, quite intense, heavy-handed arrests here today. Um, we walked around for, there was probably a good uh, two hours where there was no arrest, no anything. It was quite peaceful until... I'm just going to stop here for a second. As you can see, I was just doing my job. There was no one even around me. The bloke marched up to me while I was doing a piece to camera. You can actually hear me laugh because I seriously thought he was joking. If you watch my content before, you'll know that sometimes... Cops walk up to me and, and banter a little bit, you know. I guess they like my work or they appreciate it or they find it funny or they see my sense of humor and they join in. But I quickly realized that this power-hungry commander was not bantering. No arrest, no anything. It was quite peaceful until... Can you give it to my staff? Okay. Bring this one, bring this one. 
take me away with my hands still cuffed behind my back like I'm some sort of violent criminal but what they didn't realize is I was still mic'd up and was recording everything they're about to say yeah and if you go follow up with it I'll, uh, I'll put the link for that in the description bar below so you guys can go check it out but if you go follow up on it he actually gets visited by the police later on and they threaten him basically saying like you better not talk about this because they were in the wrong. They knew they were in the wrong, but they're not going to admit that on camera, you know. And so what what you're seeing is COVID-19 being used for an authoritarian power grab. And you're see, you're seeing Australia being used as the beta test, as like the testing ground. That's why I'm trying to get some people on online from up over there so you guys can hear from them what it's like to kind of have that creeping encroachment. I mean, Chuck's just the other week we talked about how we, we, we played for you guys quick clips of the Australian police choking a woman, like choke slamming her to the ground for not wearing a mask. And so when I'm talking about those psychology, the, the lockdown pseudoscience psychology, the psychosis, the Stockholm syndrome, this is it. That's again, because you got sick people out there who actually enjoy seeing other humans being put down. It's actually very kind of crazy to see. Uh, but speaking of sick humans that enjoy seeing people put down, uh, our audience listeners, you guys can't see this, but this is Dr. Jacques Girard, and uh, this is in Quebec, Canada. He's smiling as he says, you know, the police have actually been very cooperative when they've helped us detain people. Because we're going to be getting, getting into how uh, Quebec City says that it will isolate, quote, uncooperative citizens in a secret corona facility. You, you, you guys can go see this on the page. This man's cheerful. And I'll have to read some of his translations, but he's cheerful as he's talking about the police helping them detain individuals and help throw them into these secret Corona facilities. And so I guess because I trip out about people just being disappeared, it's a real thing. You got HR 66 or HR 6666. You also got the NDAA of 2012, where this basically allows for the indefinite detention and probably extermination of, 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 of human beings. I worry about this. So when you have a, a, a power-hungry, politicized elite people waiting to assume power and control, I guess I just worry about, well, who, who, who's that power going to be used against? So here, let me, uh, let me read a little bit of this, and then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll continue on. Dr. Gérard, avant de terminer, il y a une journaliste qui ne pourrait pas être présente ici qui demande brièvement est-ce que des ordonnances ont été émises à l'endroit des clients récalcitrants? Et so, because, uh, yes. it's, because it's French, I'm going to read the translations. But um, a reporter asked the questions of can you answer it in French, please? The, ordered, the order targeted two people who were not cooperating. And it is great that we can finally work with that. That provision, you know, before, this is talking about before the crisis, if there were not a health crisis, the public health director could use this provision for 72 hours while waiting for the judge's confirmation of such a provision. In the COVID-19 case, we may isolate somebody for 14 days. And it is what we did this morning, and we have done it in the past. And, such as this morning, 
force a person to cooperate with the investigation. I'm, gonna go, I'm, I'm reading from the article now. It says authorities in Quebec, Canada, Quebec City, Canada, have announced that they will isolate, quote, uncooperative citizens in a coronavirus facility, the location of which remains a secret. During a press conference, Dr. Jacques Girard, who heads the Quebec City Public Health Authority, drew attention to a case where patrons at a bar were ordered to wait until their COVID-19 tests came back, but disregard, that command, disregard the command and left the premises before the results came back positive. This led them to being deemed as, quote, uncooperative and forcibly interned in a, in a quarantine facility. Quote, we may isolate somebody for four, someone for 14 days, Gerard said during the press conference, quote, and it is what we did this morning, forced a person to cooperate with the investigation. And police cooperation was exceptional. The health official then outlined how the state is also tracking down people for violating their home quarantine and forcibly removing them to the secret facility. Quote, because we had people isolated at home and then we saw the person was not at home. So we went to their home and then told them we were isolating you where you where we want you to be, says Gerard. Quote, six other Quebec City bars known to have been frequented by Curac regulars are now being examined by public health officials, reports the RAIR Foundation. Quote, it should be noted that it is not being claimed that anyone is actually sick from the coronavirus, but that the state has the for has the power to force a citizen into isolation anyway. As we previously highlighted, the government of New Zealand announced similar measures, saying that they will put all new coronavirus infectees and their close family members in, quote, quarantine facilities. They're disappearing people. They're disappearing people like it's a good thing. They're saying, great, this is public health, you know, because of before the crisis, uh, we, 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 wouldn't, we wouldn't have been able to do, the, do so. But now we are. And you think, oh, shucks, that's only that's only in Canada. Oh, shucks, that's only in China. Oh, shucks, that's only in New Zealand. Oh, shucks, that's that's everywhere else. Right. That's everywhere else. America, well, you're wrong. Ohio Department of Health partners with FEMA to create sheltering facilities for people exposed to covid. This is this is this is last week's. I'm only going to read a little bit of it because. Uh, people have bonded together to sue the Department of Health for violating their rights. We'll get into that rather than the actual sheltering facilities. Well, but this is written by Paul Joseph Watson over there at Summit.News. They put this up September 3rd. It says colleges and universities asked to make buildings available for coronavirus shelters. It says the apartment, the Ohio Department of Health has partnered with FEMA to create, quote, sheltering facilities for people, shel people suspected to be exposed to coronavirus who are unable to quarantine at home. A director's order published on the official OHD website outlines how the state of Ohio and FEMA under, quote, emergency protective measures will set up, quote, non-congregate sheltering for those who are unable to safely self-quarantine in their place of residence and to isolate those diagnosed with or showing signs of COVID-19. So, yeah, you, you, you think that that's not going to happen in your own backyard, but it does. And so what we need to have happen, instead of complaining about it, is active measures. We need to actually have resistance to it. Meaning this, Ohio Citizens Group files federal lawsuit to remove the state COVID-19 emergency order. They see their rights being taken out there in Ohio and they're actively doing something about it. 
actively doing something about it. This is over there at Signs of the Time. They put this up September 7th. And this is them fighting back. And that's how it's going to happen. It's not going to happen like on a national scale. It's going to be local. It's going to be different different states standing up. That's why when we covered this uh, this secession plan that the radicals have, they already want to have their bastions being used to start that process. Middle America and other parts of the country are going to have to start trying to fight this globalist takeover. You see, recognize, again, creating that narrative that you have rights, that you can still fight this. Uh, but let's get, let's get into this. It says Ohio is getting a lot of attention lately for allegedly for alleged legislator lobbyist utility corruption and also citizens taking action against state-mandated COVID-19 orders. Recently, another lawsuit has been filed by the latter, and this comes from Richland Source. It says Ohio Stands Up files a lawsuit to remove DeWine's COVID-19 emergency order. An Ohio's citizens group has filed a lawsuit in federal court to remove Governor Mike DeWine's emergency health order, which was signed on March 9th and remains in place today. Ohio Stands Up describes itself as a grassroots organization composed of Ohio, Ohio citizens focused on restoring the rights of Ohio's 11.69 million residents and educating the public about the realities of the COVID-19 data. Ohio Stands Up said that it filed a suit in the Northern District of Ohio Federal Court in Toledo to remove DeWine's emergency order. The group is represented by attorneys Thomas Renz of Fremont and Robert Gargas of Lorraine. DeWayne was asked about the lawsuit during a press conference on Tuesday, quote, I have been sued many times. The Department of Health has been sued many times. They have been in many different counties, he said. Quote, we're doing what we know will make a difference. We've been very thoughtful of what we've done, he said. Quote, none of these decisions are made in a vacuum. I just have to stay focused on what we need to do in Ohio. According to the Ohio Department of Health website on Tuesday, there have been 120 4,000 positive COVID-19 tests since the pandemic began with over 4,000 deaths. Organizers said the lawsuit is solely funded, funded by donations from Ohio citizens and as of August 30th, donations reached 34,000. You guys can uh, go to ohiostandup.org for more information. But basically what you're seeing is just that, people fighting back against this. And I think, if anything, that's like the biggest thing uh, that I'm grateful for. You know, just the other day, I was um, I was getting a burrito. I was in a I was in a I was in a store getting a burrito, and uh, this this chick comes in talking about how the masks are a tool used by our governor to destroy our economies. And so I just start pointing back at her. I'm like, praise, sister, go ahead. Start start telling them. And she's like, yeah, you know, there's so many black-owned businesses that have been destroyed by this nonsense, and all they're telling us to do is keep our masks on, way. and I'm just like, tell them. Tell them. And so I think what I'm really trying to say is I'm grateful to see people fighting back. It is inspiring, and that's what it's going to be. It's going to be grassroots organizations inspiring individuals. And they're not going to be able to organize on Fedbook like Zuckerbot said. He doesn't want people to do this on his platform, but he does want people to use his platform. It's going to take grassroots organization, local, st- local, county, state. It's going to take that kind of impact to where you infect the nation, infect your region. These issues are not just these, 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 these issues are not done in a vacuum. 
other people are afflicted by these things. Um, that's, again, if you ask me, another reason why people really don't care about what's going on with this election, uh, because they are affected by this whole COVID nonsense, not really sure if they have a future or a job or a, high, a house, and they're seeing Joe Biden up there with his dementia or his Alzheimer's setting in, and they're saying this man can't lead us. But to get back on a point right here, talking about fighting back, RFK Jr., Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and the Children's Health Defense have sued the University of California for making the flu shot mandatory. Bravo. Because this already happened out there in Australia with no jab, no pay. Bill Gates is also trying to do the same thing with COVID-19. You can't mandate something because then it's not people's bodies. I mean, the, the argument could be made that, well, they can have the choice of going to the University of California. They can find another university. They don't have to receive the flu shot that the University of California is choosing. But that's not the point. The point is, is people should be able to say yes or no to what's going on in their body. Religious exemptions, conscientious objections, objections the, these are real things, you see. Uh, but let me get into this. This comes from Collective Evolution. They put this up September 8th. It's from Aaron Walia. It says the University of California is one of many in the United States that have made the flu shot mandatory for all students, staff, and, and faculty. Prior to now, it remained a choice for people. Flu shots must be taken by November 1st of this year, according to UC. It's a, quote, proactive measure to help protect the members of the UC community and the public at large, and to ameliorate the severe burden of health care systems anticipated during the coming fall and winter from the influenza and COVID-19. Due to the growing amount of evidence that vaccines are, completely, are not completely safe for everyone, let alone completely safe, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., renowned attorney and chair of the Children's Health Defense, is now suing the University of California. Kennedy explains that Dr. Janet Napolitano says that mandatory flu shots will, quote, lessen the chance of being infected with COVID. However, prevailing research suggests that the flu vaccine actually raises the risk from coronavirus infection. A January 2020 U.S. Pentagon study, The Wolf 2020, found that the flu shot increases the risk from the coronavirus by 36%. Quote, receiving influenza vaccination may increase the risk of other respiratory viruses, a phenomenon known as virus interference. Vaccine-derived virus interference was significantly associated with coronavirus. Many other studies suggest the increased risk of viral respiratory infections, including coronavirus, following vaccination for influenza. Yeah, mo mo most people end up getting the virus from the actual vaccine. Uh, but here's a couple stacks for you. This is a 2018 CDC study found that the flu shot increases the risk of non-flu acute respiratory illnesses, including coronavirus in children. A 2011 study uh, in Australia found that the flu shots doubled the risk for non-flu viral lung infections. A 2012 Hong Kong study found that flu shots increases the risk for non-flu respiratory infections by 4.4 times. A 2017 study found that vaccinated children were 5.9 times more likely to suffer pneumonia than their unvaccinated peers. Yeah, the vaccines are causing the problem. I know, <laughs> I know people don't want to think about it like that, but yeah. The vaccines are causing the problem. You want to hear something funny? Check this out. 
since we like having censored posts, let's let's see why the fact checkers have deemed this post about the United Nations having to admit that Bill Gates is causing polio with his oral vaccine. Let's see why they call this fake. They say adequate immunization and improved sanitation together protect against infection from both wild and vaccine derived polio virus. They say that it's false. I don't really care. I don't really care. What I'm really trying to say is that the United Nations is forced to admit that Bill Gates is the Bill Gates funded vaccine is actually causing the polio outbreak in places like Africa where it had been eradicated. That's right. The United Nations had to admit that Bill Gates is giving people polio. His vaccine is creating a hybrid disease, vaccine-derived polio. You're giving people diseases. This is what I've been worried about with, 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 with all of this nonsense. Hey, you, you don't need me to go into this. People already inherently understand this. I'm only going to read a little bit of this because we don't have time. <laughs> this, is what, this, this is why I don't want Bill Gates injecting anything in my body. But it says that the United Nations has been forced to admit that a major international polio vaccine initiative by Bill Gates is actually causing the outbreak of the very disease that it was supposed to wipe out. And you want this man to fight coronavirus? Along with AstraZeneca? Didn't this happen this week? We found out that AstraZeneca was creating like a COVID-19 vaccine. And then a mystery illness popped up, something with their spinal cord. (laughs) <laughs> and you want this man he's already told you that people are going to suffer adverse side effects from this so yes this stuff has to come out let me let me let me get into this i'm going to jump right into it uh, it says that the un is forced to admit that bill gates funded vaccine is causing a polio outbreak it says while international organizations like the world health organization will regularly boast about supposedly eradicating polio with vaccines the opposite seems to be the case Their decades-long campaign to eradicate polio is now killing scores of innocent young people living in poor countries. This comes from the UN website. It's a circulating vaccine-derived polio virus type 2 in Sudan. This latest pharma-induced pandemic has broken out in African countries of Chad and Sudan, and the culprit has been identified, a vaccine-derived polio virus type 2. Officials now fear this new dangerous strain could soon jump continents, causing causing further deadly outbreaks around the world. Uh, Similar to what's going on with coronavirus? And you want me to get a vaccine for this? You see, that's why Bill Gates' hands is all over this. (laughs) I'm not... I'm going to read a little bit more of this because uh, because we need to. It says, shocking as it sounds, this big pharma debacle is not new. After spending $16 billion over 30 years to eradicate polio, international health bodies have accidentally reintroduced the disease to Pakistan, Afghanistan, and also in Iran. As the Central, as the Central Asia region was hit by the vir- virulent strain of polio spawned by the corporate pharmaceutical vaccine distributed there, also, in 2019, the government of Ethiopia ordered the destruction of 57,000 vials of type 2 oral polio vaccine following a similar outbreak of vaccine-induced polio. Yeah, the same type of thing happened with HPV vaccines out there in India. Bill Gates is not allowed in India. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has been kicked out of India because they were sterilizing their women there, their children. 
Continuing on, it says it's important to note that the oral polio vaccine being pushed on the African population by the Global Polio Eradication Initiative, a consortium which is supported and funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. All of this should be cause for concern, especially with Western governments and the transitional, transnational pharmaceutical giant all rushing to roll out their new Gates-funded experimental coronavirus vaccine for the global population. And that's exactly what we talked about in the previous episode with you guys, how they how how vaccine companies will have liability, they're liability free, and how in the war game, event 201, back in October, shucks, almost a year now, they said, yeah, we can come out with a vaccine, but we're going to have to have regulatory flexibility. We can make a vaccine, but it won't be complete. And now you have them coming out saying that the vaccine is going to cause more problems. And you've got Trump working with the military Operation Warp Speed to rapidly develop these janky vaccines. Very, very sketchy situation. And we don't have rights. Children at the University of California have to depend on somebody like Robert F. Kennedy to fight against this. This is insane. But we're not done being insane. Uh, To close out this segment for you guys, what I'm going to do this whole thing's way past 15 minutes long, but I'm going to put this clip in the description bar below if you guys want to check it out. Right here, contact tracing whistleblower warns of door-to-door forced vaccinations and FEMA kidnapping. The California-based whistleblower talks about what I said beforehand, CERT, the Community Emergency Response Team, contact tracers, and she's not even sure if these are contract tracers, proto-contact tracers. Because of HR 6666 and the Clinton Global Initiative, they're not sure whether or not they're able to to do this type of stuff. But it's, again, desensitizing the people to the to this type of new normal. And the way that this lady describes it, she says that, you know, somebody's peeking in her door, doing all kinds of strange stuff. It's super shady. So I would highly recommend you guys check it out. We're not going to play it in its entirety, but I want you guys to think about these things, what your rights are. And if you if if you live in like a gated area like me, make sure you double double lock your gate. Don't just put like a latch there. Put a no trespassing sign and a no solicitor sign up there. Install surveillance cameras. Make sure you're make sure you're aware of these things because they're pushing. But here, let me read a little bit of this and then I'll I'll continue on. Uh, this comes from WorldTruth.tv. They put this up September eighth. It says California-based whistleblower is stepped is stepping forward and sounding the alarm on door-to-door contact tracing campaigns, which are underway right now, justified by the coronavirus pandemic government response. These campaigns will be escalated to forced vaccinations and FEMA kidnappings of dissenters who refuse vaccines, we've learned. This video features a whistleblower we're referring to as Contact Traced, who was filmed in goggles and a hoodie hiding in a dark closet to conceal their identity. This person believes that they have already been added to a dissenter red list in California, flagged for possible FEMA kidnapping and forced relocation to a FEMA camp where those who resist vaccines will be processed and then exterminated. This person's voice has been dramatically altered to protect their identity. California governments are hiring people to go door to door, building a quote red flag list of dissenters. And right now California is hiring people to hiring people these vaccine dissenters, creating that list of vaccine dissenters, flagging them to be forced vaccinated, mentally kidnapping people, or even other things. Uh, but this is from Mike Adams over there at health. 
Mike Adams of the Health Ranger. This is over there at Brighteon. Like I said before, I'll put the link for this in the description bar below if you guys are curious. In the episode article, it's very, very heavy stuff. I would recommend you guys go watch it, especially our California audience, just so you're aware of these type of things. Welcome to this important interview for Brighteon Conversations. This is Mike Adams here. Today we have a secret contact tracer who's joining us anonymously to talk about the really the medical police state that is being rolled out in California. Uh, she has done extensive research on the contact tracing network and was in fact visited and perhaps intimidated by a COVID-19 contact tracer in Northern California and she is warning the rest of us about what's about to happen to all of us as maybe a second wave is rolled out or a second bioweapon is rolled out. They're going to use that as a pretext to crack down on all human freedom using contact tracing and effectively medical martial law. So today we're joined by a person that we're, we're calling Contact Traced. Uh, she has been visited by contact tracers in Northern California and she's here to warn us about the danger that this poses to all of our civil liberties all across America. She joins us in shadow to protect her identity from the medical fascists in California who are probably going to arrest people who speak out against the medical police state that's coming. So thank you for joining us, Contact Traced. Um, where do you want to begin on this topic? Yeah, thanks for having me on your show. I'm really concerned about contact tracing, and I have pretty good reason to believe they might start with California and maybe all the Western states to make an example out of us. And the reason I got in touch with you about this issue is because two weeks ago, the contact tracer came to my house for the second time. He had come uh, about three weeks earlier. Someone else was at my house and told him to go away, but the second time he came, I was here. Well, really, let me ask you some basic questions. First of all, have you ever have you been diagnosed with COVID nineteen, or is there any reason why they would think you no, had it? I have not been tested for COVID nineteen or diagnosed. In fact, I haven't been sick for you know, at least a year. Okay, so what do you think they're just randomly hitting every house in California? What, what, how how did they arrive at your front door? Do you think? I think the person who came to my home was actually what I'm calling a proto-contact tracer. There is a program called Community Emergency Response Team, known as CERT, C-E-R-T. And so these people are assigned to each block in the neighborhoods around Northern California. And I think it's a nationwide program as well. And they're gathering information on everybody on their block. And my contact tracer from CERT, actually it's not an official contact tracer, so let me be clear about that, it's somebody from CERT, the Community Emergency Response Team, um, came to my home and started asking invasive questions about whether there were elderly people at my home or if anybody needed food. And this was like at least two, two and a half months into the lockdown in California. So I thought it was really odd that two and a half months in, they'd be asking if there were any elderly people who needed food at that point, because at that point, they'd probably be dead if they didn't have a food. So the timing, I thought, was really odd. Did he know your name when he came to your door? Or, or I mean, did he have any, any other information about you already? He did not. He didn't know my name. He said he lived on my block, although I've never seen him before in my entire life. So it sounds like the authorities in California are recruiting you know, local block by block neighborhood, I don't know what you call them, COVID-19 snitches, uh, you know, something out of 
the Stasi, the SS, uh, sort of, you know, community level enforcement that where they're first assessing everybody to find out, you know, who lives where and maybe maybe they have a flag, you know, if you don't comply. Did you did you get any kind of pushback from them that way where uh, where you felt like you were going to be marked because you weren't going along with what he was uh, demanding? Not overtly, but I did feel like he was noting that I was a dissident and didn't want him coming back, and I'm afraid that that information is going to pass along to the contact tracers when they do come, and maybe I might be marked as a dissident, which is why I prefer to be interviewed in shadow today. Do you fear that at some point this whole system will escalate to forced vaccinations on a door-to-door -door basis? Absolutely, yes. I don't think they really care about contact tracing every last one of us just to see who tests positive for COVID. I think this is a pilot and they want to figure out how the contact tracing is going to work. They want to train their people in a real life setting because they all got trained online and they want to get some initial information on people. So when the forced vaccination program comes along, then that'll go a lot more easily for them. You know, it sounds like a cover story that they're pulling on the community to even call themselves contact tracers because, you know, contact tracing works by asking a person who has been diagnosed, who were you in contact with? And that person creates a list of all their friends or family members or social interactions, and then they go visit those people, right? That's contact tracing. What they did to you is not contact tracing. It's it's more like um, a sweep, like a like a dragnet operation. Yeah, it did feel like a dragnet operation. One of my neighbors, my friend on a different block, she sent me an information sheet that she got from her cert person who came to her house on the exact same day. And that information sheet was so invasive. It wanted the names, phone numbers, emails, and social media accounts of everyone in the household, their names, including children's names and children's phone numbers. And it wanted a local contact in case of an emergency and all their contact information. and and out of town contact with all their information as well. It was highly invasive. So I'll put the link for that in the description bar below. Because, yeah, that's, that's the level of heavy content that we are dealing with when we talk about this type of stuff. That's what I mean by giving you that wide-spectrum analysis on what's actually taking place. Uh, so like I said, door-to-door -door door -door contact tracing whistleblower video. I'll put that in the description bar below. You can go finish watching it on Brighteon. We also upload our channels on there, our episodes. Whenever YouTube decides to censor us, you can find us over there. Uh, but this is the world. This is contact tracing. This is uh, COVID-1984. And this is why we have to fight it. This is pandemic dissidents. This is what happens when people don't want to go along with this. This is uh, lockdown supporters using that pseudoscience psychology to give us the Stockholm Syndrome as well. This is that new normal, and this is why we're having to fight it. Uh, but speaking of fighting things, fighting the new normal, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, a potential EMP attack being released as the election nears. Uh, we mentioned this earlier this week on Instagram Live, the idea of the Great Reset starting things over and how this could play a part in it. Uh, you've also got the United Nations complaining about a male-dominated world and a millennia of patriarchy. That's right. We're, we're getting out of get get out of here, men. There's no more need for you. 
Uh, we're also going to be talking about more dreams of social collapse, war, frenzy, bugging out, surveillance, and persecution. Christian persecution on the other side. Ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be getting into more on the other side. This is Freedom Faction over here on Factions of Freedom. And we'll be right back right after this. in this world that remind us of how fragile we are. We thought we were safe. We thought it could never happen to us. Then life like a fog descends upon us, blanketing our memories. Through the haze we travel its hidden paths, lost in its secret places. And when the storm, turbulent and immovable, forces us to shelter, we remember. to us, calls us back, back to the ports and the harbors of our past. We fight the currents that pull and drag us off course, not a light or star to chart the way. And when we arrive, we don't always know it at first, the places we once loved guised by time. Then we see it, the place we've been trying to get back to. Safe at last, we've found our way home.
Yep. Our final segment. And we are here. Fighting it. Fighting it. Explaining it. Trying not to get caught in the undertow. You know, it's kind of crazy. I, I mentioned it earlier in the previous segment. How I'm not really that smart. <laughs> um, and how I'm really just up against very, very smart people. And so out of necessity, a lot of the things that you're seeing are um, are just that. You know, you're seeing me become better in response to all of this degeneracy and decadence and all of it. You know, I want a future, and you see them rapidly trying to erode it. And um, I said this i said this when I was talking to a few of you guys earlier this week, that the middle ground is quickly being eroded, that it's becoming increasingly difficult to navigate the hardships of this. And while I don't want to fear-monger people, I also feel like it's important that people understand what we're talking about. Um, this segment of this episode is going to be a little bit kind of out there as it should be because a lot of the things that we discuss are not normal. None of this is normal. I'm glad that this stuff is getting out there and begins to change the, the future, the landscape of things, but none of this is normal. And if we want any semblance of normal in the future, well, guess what? We have to fight for it yesterday. And when I ask what kind of values, moral standards, expectations do we want to bring into this new world order? It's a very real question. You, 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 you quickly see our morals being destroyed, our values being ripped up in front of us. Did we really mean what we say? Were we really, were we really willing to fight for these things? It's a real question. Do we want to be the architects of our own future? It's something everybody has to ask themselves. It's crazy. It's crazy. So let's start getting into the episode content or the segment content. More of the weird stuff, man. Like there ain't nothing else to say. Check this out right here, man. DHS is preparing for a potential EMP attack as the presidential election nears. So as you're hearing Mark Zuckerberg say that the election's going to take a couple weeks, shucks. I can't read all these election results with 2020 computational power. I can't do it with quantum computing and AI. It's going to take it's going to take weeks, man. We have the DHS saying, all right, cool. So we have the Mockingbird media and social media on board to start scrambling things. What kind of chaotic event can take place that may disrupt the electoral process that may disrupt everything? You've got Nancy Pelosi saying that the White House is just a location. The presidency is an occupancy. You can be a president anywhere. It's, 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 it's crazy, the stuff that's just like floating around. And all this stuff can only happen in a time where we're polarized and not thinking straight. But here, let me get into this article. We put this up September 4th. It's from Zero Hedge. It says the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, DHS, released a new report warning of a potential EMP attack against the U.S., says DHS warning published Thursday, September 2nd, or about 60 days until the U.S. presidential election on November 3rd, indicates that there are, quote, evolving threats against the American homeland, 
most recently highlighting the efforts to combat an electromagnetic pulse attack which could disrupt the electrical grid and potentially damage electronics. The department released an EMP status report via the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency that said that the, quote, key actions to address known EMP-related vulnerabilities to critical infrastructure. CISA said that an EMP attack could, quote, disrupt, degrade, and damage technology embedded in critical infrastructure systems. Widespread blackouts could be seen if an EMP was to damage the nation's electrical grid, resulting in additional flare-ups of socioeconomic turmoil. Quote, EMP attacks are part of the emerging threats against our nation and demanding a response, said senior officer performing the duties of the Department Secretary Ken Cuccinelli. Quote, that is why DHS is taking these contingencies very seriously, working diligently to mitigate our risks and equipping our state and local partners with the resources they need to do the same. We've made significant progress and look forward to work ahead, Cuccinelli said. CISA Director Chris Krebs said that the top priorities of the agency is to mitigate the threats associated with EMPs. Quote, over the past year, we have worked with interagency and industry partners to identify the footprint and effects of EMP threats across our national critical functions and are developing sustainable, efficient, and cost-effective approaches to improving the nation's resilience to EMPs, Krebs said. To combat these emerging threats, President Trump signed an executive order in March of 2019 delegating power to the White House for EMP preparedness. We recently quoted Peter Vincent Pry, ex-chief of staff of the Congressional EMP Commission, who wrote an op-ed that said that the virus pandemic from China has, quote, exposed dangerous weaknesses in the U.S., planning and preparation for civil defense protection and recovery. And those weaknesses surely have been noticed by our potential enemies, China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, and international terrorists. Pry warned that, quote, China has been planning to defeat the U.S. with an EMP in a cyber Pearl Harbor attack for a quarter century. DHS nor CISA gave any more information on evolving EMP threats of the American homeland. That was not the mention of whether the threat could be from a solar storm or EMP weapons. However, the EMP status did... Re status report did mention DHS is currently running EMP pilot tests to assess EMP vulnerability of infrastructure. So what we're literally talking about is a domestic attack. You got to think about this. I was thinking about this the other day. China released a virus and we're fighting amongst ourselves. It's like they, it's, 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 it's like they have a virus in their own homeland that somehow gets here we lock everything down, go full, full Borg authoritarian, and China starts laughing at us. And I started, again, I'm just thinking out loud, defund the police. You got to think about how we're ripe for an attack. You got Antifa planning a 50-day siege on the White House, destabilizing as much stuff as they can because they know they're going be, to be rounded up. They know they're going to be arrested. They know these things are going to take place. So they're trying to cause as much chaos as they can. And who's funding this? Who's organizing this? Outside of George Soros, that's, that's, that's the obvious. But who's abating this? Who's emboldening this? Who's greenlighting this stuff? That's the crazy part that nobody's taking the time to look at, man. That we are literally teetering. And you got to think about this. Think about this. We've already talked about how they've barricaded the White House. They've put up gates. Donald Trump has talked about, you know, activating Marines, 
a special sect of military marines that are loyal to him. You had Antifa planning like a 50-day siege. You've got Nancy, you got Nancy Pelosi talking about, you know, if this thing does kick off, she's going to be second in command. You know, you, you, it, it's just kind of crazy. And so, you know, you say they say all the time that this is the most important election in history. I would, I, I, it, it, it truly is shaping up to be it, and they're already preparing for it. Technocrats like Mark Zuckerberg are calling it the Red Mirage saying that people are going to vote for Trump. It's going to look like it's red for a minute, but then it's going to switch to blue. The same way that you have all these people freaking out about, you know, Donald Trump being elected. It's crazy. And so how does this tie into an EMP attack? Look at how they were able to smuggle in biological materials with Dr. Charles Lever of Harvard. Of Harvard, man. Harvard has sold us out. If you don't think that they have, like, agents... And people here smuggling different components in different parts of an EMP to work one here. I don't know what to tell you. I would hope to God the DHS, the Homeland Security, is at least like monitoring some of this. Again, like that's like we on another level, like we really can't worry about like Antifa, BLM, and all this other stuff. Like, yes, they are a problem that will get dealt with, but there's but but they're partly like a distraction. They're they're they are partly there to cause chaos whenever it's needed to distract us because we really can't see past them. We can't see past who funds them. We can't see past what their goals are and how they're infiltrating society. So so they are like a low priority and a low-level threat, but it's the powers that fund them that need to be talked about. That's what I'm saying. A virus gets released and we start fighting amongst ourselves. Our enemies are laughing at us. Our adversaries are calling us a joke. Can you blame them? Can you blame them with how with how we act, man? Like real, really. We are um we're we are just something else. Speaking of something else, let me go ahead and get up this next article that again talks more about this concept of losing power. This could be like this could be this could be talking about losing power, or it could also be talking about Agenda Twenty One, Agenda Twenty Thirty. You could say climate change, but I don't think it's that. Uh, but right here, California grid operator warns of rotating power outages and record heat waves. This is put up over there at September seventh. It says that more than ninety three thousand are without power in L.A. and Orange County. And this last one comes from WorldNet Daily. It says a serious problem has been identified, the Chinese infection of the U.S. power grid. You guys should definitely go check that out. It talks about just that, how how there are, I mentioned that before, DHS is worried about a cyber Pearl Harbor. But this article of the Chinese infection of the U.S. power grid, it talks about cyber infiltration of, of, key, of, of key critical infrastructure, of power plants being hacked, right? A couple of years ago, is Stuxnet, I think, like in Iran, where like a nuclear power plant was actually over, was hacked. And they used like the thermometer or something like that. And then what they were able to do was they were able to, to display one set of results to, uh, to the technicians that were actually at the site. And then on the off site, on the, on the, on the back end of that, they were literally messing with like the nuclear plants, like, output capacity and so it was becoming very volatile and, and unstable 
And if they hadn't caught on to it, they would have been able to blow up that power plant. And so this is kind of the same thought process uh, when we're looking at the inf- the infection of the U.S. power grid, a Chinese Pearl Harbor, to where our enemies have control over our power. Very crazy. I mean, until you start thinking about how a lot of our pharmaceuticals come from China. So a lot of the things that we talk about here, while they seem crazy, if you follow up on them, the truth is much stranger than fiction. Uh, but here, let's simply talk about this, the California power grid. Uh, having rotating power outages because of all this. This is the California independent operator, independent system operator declared a stage two power emergency late on Saturday, warning that rotating power outages were possible amid a record heat wave. A stage two power emergency means that ISO has taken all mitigating actions, but can no longer provide its expected energy requirements. Temperatures of up to a hundred degrees 125 degrees Fahrenheit were set to punish California through Labor Day weekend, raising the risk of wildfires and rolling blackouts. California Governor Gavin Newsom on Friday declared a state of emergency, a proclamation that allows power plants to operate beyond normal limits through the three-day holiday weekend. The National Weather Service forecast a heat wave carrying a, quote, rare, dangerous, and very possible, possibly fatal temperature across Southern California for the holiday weekend. State officials urged Californians to turn off unnecessary appliance and lights to avoid blackouts from an overwhelmed power grid. Authorities also asked power generators to delay any maintenance until after the weekend to prevent blackouts like the two nights of rolling outages in mid-August as as residents cranked up their air conditioning. This weekend was expected to be hotter than the other one in mid-August that helped trigger the second and third largest forest fires in California history. Those fires are still burning. Desert Valley in California's Mojave Desert registered one of the hottest temperatures record on the planet of 130 degrees Fahrenheit on August 17th, and highs of around 124 were were expected there on Sunday, the NWS said. It says San Francisco-based power provider PG&E Corp. said on Saturday that it may be asked by the grid operator to turn off power due to extreme heat. It urged customers to conserve power. The company said that it may have to cut power early on Monday and Tuesday in parts of Northern California as hot, dry winds are expected to threaten the region. PG&E said its potential power shutdown impacts parts of 17 counties, which would include about 103,000 customers. Yeah. And the, the, the fire is so intense, spawning, spanning over 200,000 miles that the clouds can literally be seen from space. Everything's like an orange and like Oregon and San Francisco Uh, out here, even in New Mexico, you know, we were experiencing just this, this crazy hot, this crazy fog over stuff, man. It's a, it's, it's, it's apocalyptic. It's otherworldly. It's strange. Um, and it's terrifying. Some people are saying that this most recent fire was actually caused <clears throat> was actually caused by a a, a gender reveal party, uh, right here. This next one comes from In Times headlines. They put this up September seventh. It says wildfires continue to burn in California. Over two million acres have been scorched. The Labor Day weekend taking a terrifying turn for over 200 people in California's Sierra National Forest as flames, hot embers, and thick smoke from the creek fire quickly surrounded and trapped campers at Mammoth Pool Reservoir. 
You could see smoke, but they said it was like 22 miles away. And, uh, it was very fast. And it was literally like, oh my god, there's fire right there. Juliana Park and her friends, who were hiking in the area, were some of the last to make it out by car. The fire looks like it's going to just grab the car. And we could feel the heat just throughout the vehicle. By Saturday night, the fire had devoured over 36,000 acres, blocking the only way out of the campground. The race to save lives forced to go airborne. I believe there's probably other people that are sheltered in the meadow. Unknown at this time is uh, how many may still exist out there. In the middle of the night, first responders rushing trapped campers onto military helicopters to reach safety. As soon as we were in the helicopter, we flew over the fires and you couldn't see anything but pitch black and fire. That's all we could see. We saw firsthand why those evacuations were so critical. The smoke and haze has turned day to night as firefighters face yet another challenge on the front line. Many of the injuries are lacerations, broken bones, and those kind of things, and, and the kind of injuries you'd see when somebody's attempting to flee the fire. As ambulances rush to treat the injured, families and their young children, grateful they survived. I'm glad to be alive. But across the state, the danger is still very real, as flames fueled by triple-digit temperatures threaten to destroy anything in its path. Outside of Fresno here, the Creek Fire is still burning totally out of control across California. More than 20 wildfires are burning across the region. And we should mention one outside of Los Angeles was started by a smoke grenade at a gender reveal party. Thanks, Miguel. Thanks, Miguel. Thank you. It says that wildfires are continuing to rage in California as reports indicate that authorities have over 12,000 firefighters while battling more than 20 major fires burning across the state. And officials are warning that conditions there could get even worse due to the record-breaking heat that is gripping the region, resulting in Los Angeles County seeing a stunning 121 degrees. Since couple of this with high winds, high winds in many areas and forecasters warn that it could take that it could make containment of the fires even more difficult. The fires have also triggered a new state of emergency in Southern California after a wildfire swept across more than 10, more than 70 acres in only a few days. In some locations, the smoke was so thick that it blocked out the sun in the middle of the day and ash covering parts of California like blankets of snow. One of these fires deemed the Creek Fire has devoured entire neighborhoods, leaving streets unrecognizable. Quote, the fire completely engulfed everything, said one resident. Meanwhile, hundreds tried to escape, tried escaping a popular campsite in Sierra National Forest as they were surrounded by flames, leaving some of the people running for water to stay away from the fire. One camper said, quote, the fire just moved so fast that there was only so much we could do. The National Guard was even dispatched to airlift more than 200 people out of the danger zone and ambulances ended up transporting some to safety. So you have some people saying that this is a uh, this is directed energy weapons, you know, and we've 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 covered that in the past, no doubt. Uh, but now we're talking about, I guess, real stuff, dude. Then that's the problem. Whenever people keep attributing everything to a conspiracy theory, and don't look at how you're talking about displaced citizens and domestic migrants, people who have had their their lives displaced by this. 
Again, this is another reason why people don't really care about the election because they don't have jobs. They don't have lives. They don't have things to do. And they are just being battered, if not from wildfires, social hysteria, economic turmoil, you name it. They're being hit from every single angle. So, yeah, I hear you with the directed energy weapons. Let's find more evidence of that and then talk about why that is the case. Yeah, you could say setting the stage for Agenda 21, no doubt. But we're talking about people's lives. We're literally talking about people's lives. Millions of earth just scorched. It's gone. And yeah, you know, this could be done by people who have the means to do so. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that that's not the case. I guess what I am saying is we have to really be cautious of, of, of trivializing people's trauma with stuff like this. So if you're in California and you have been displaced by, uh, by this creek fire, I am sorry to hear this. I pray for you. Escape L.A., escape from New York, you know, get get out of there. Let this be a blessing in disguise, as strange as this may sound, and pick up your bags and find, like, another place to live. Please, you know. And so while we're talking about this scorched earth policy where you see them leaving no, stir, no stone unturned and all this chaos unfolding, you see them wiping away the old world order, so to speak. Check this out. You have the United Nations complaining about a male-dominated world, a millennia of patriarchy. Yet another attack or normality. This is written by Paul Jeffers Watson over there at Summit.News. They put this up September 7th. It says that the UN, the United Nations, has provoked another backlash after posting a tweet bemoaning how COVID-19 has demonstrated how, quote, millennia of patriarchy and, quote, male-dominated culture is damaging everyone. And I'm going to read to you guys the quote that comes from them. They put this up at 7.06 a.m. September 6th. This is by Antonio Gutierrez. It says that the COVID-19 pandemic is demonstrating what we all know. Millennia of patriarchy have resulted in a male-dominated world with a male-dominated culture, which damages everyone, women, men, girls, and boys. Quote, this is the time to, build, to rebuild more equal, inclusive, and resilient societies. As you've heard us talk about throughout the entirety of the pandemic covering COVID-1984, the technocratic totalitarian tiptoe, they are using this as a way to transform society. This is what I mean by the scorched earth policy. They're burning everything. They're getting rid of everything. They're going to destroy everything. First statues, then your gods, then the land that you stay on, your values and everything else, so that they can come through with a whole new way to live, a whole new normal, a whole new world order that gets rid of men, that emasculates them, We'll cover this. This is, we will cover this more in the future, uh, but let's get back into this. It says that the COVID-19 pandemic is demonstrating what we all know. A millennia of patriarchy has resulted in a male-dominated world with a male-dominated culture, which damages everyone. Women, men, girls, and boys tweeted the organization. It says the tweet links to remarks by the U.N. Secretary General asserting how coronavirus has caused, quote, deepening existing inequalities, including gender inequality. Ah, 
quite how men are quite how men as a gender are responsible for COVID-19 is anyone's guess. I don't know how uh, the virus disproportionately kills men over women. Respondents to the tweet expressed their opposition to the claims. It says, quote, men created a society worth living in. We live in a lap of luxury thanks to men, remarked one. Quote, patriarchy is when a male protects and looks after his family, keeping them safe from hunger and danger. The patriarchy, as an oppressive force, is a fantasy of feminism. It doesn't exist at another. Quote, infant, morale, infant mortality, down. Life expectancy, up. Literacy rates, up. Malnutrition, down. Quality of life, up. The list goes on. By virtually any metric, life for the average person is better now than in the past. But my patriarchy, said another. As we highlighted earlier this year, the UN is clearly at war with normality. Back in May, the globalist institution put out a tweet asserting that people shouldn't use politically correct terms like boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, and wife in order to help create a more equal world. Respondents decried the fact that a faceless international body was trying to control language, suggesting that the UN is completely outside of its remit and is yet another vessel for Marxism and destroying the nuclear family. What this really is, is a war on masculinity and a war on testosterone. You see, because men can't be easily controlled. And I don't want to get into like a whole sexist organization or into a whole sexist discussion, but you get what I'm saying. This is also a part of Agenda 2030, where they exalt ladies, females, children, and things like this. But men, now you're getting cucked, you're getting castrated, you're getting, you're, you're getting uh, atrazined. You're getting your morality pills. You're getting uh, you're getting your sex bots. You're getting all that stuff to pacify you. You're 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 gonna be an incel. You're gonna be an involuntary celibate person. That's a very crazy thing to think. What 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 literally what they're really trying to say? If you break it down, what they're really trying to say is that they want government to be your god. They want government to be your father. They want government to take care of you. That a millennia of patriarchy has built something like the United Nations for them to now take over. It's a lot of where welfare comes in. So it's a lot of how all this stuff takes place. Mommy media and daddy government are supposed to take care of you. That's the problem. This is a very, very crazy time we live in, man. I can't even, <laughs> I can't even say much to it because it is so upside down. Um, and, to more evidence of just the upside down lunacy that we're talking about. I don't really know if people paid attention to this. It may not, they may not have simply because, you know, he's not really relevant to coronavirus anymore. But speaking of the United Nations trying to transform society and radically shift how we think, Dr. Anthony Fauci recently went to the United Nations calling for the rebuilding of the infrastructure of the human existence. So after effectively terrorizing people and the world for months and then being sidelined by Trump, put into a closet, taken down from his position, he's now resurfaced, going back to the UN, calling exactly what they're calling for. Very strange, huh? And again, I'm glad people are beginning to understand that Fauci is a puppet for Gates. The NIH is just a front for the Mill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Let me read a little bit of this, and then we'll continue on. We put this up September 7th. It's from Wesley J. Smith via the EP.
Times, but they reposted it over there, Technocracy News. It says, Dr. Anthony Fauci is a United Nations wolf in sheep's clothing telling America why it is so important to save lives from the dreaded COVID-19 virus while pandering for the most radical parts of the United Nations agenda for the world. That is sustainable development, a.k.a. technocracy. In his paper, Emerging Pandemic Diseases, How We Got to COVID-19, he wrote the following paragraph. Living in greater harmony with nature would require changes in human behavior as well as other radical changes that may take decades to achieve. Rebuilding the infrastructure of human existence from cities to homes to workplaces to water and sewage systems to recreational and gathering venues. In such a transformation, we will need to prioritize changes in those human behaviors that constitute risk for the emergence of infectious diseases. Chief among them are reducing crowding at home, work, and in public places, as well as minimizing, minimizing environmental retribution such as deforestation, intense urbanization, and intensive animal farming. Equally important are ending global poverty, improving sanitation and hygiene, and reducing unsafe exposure to animals so that humans and potential human pathogens have limited opportunities for contact. This is plain evidence that Fauci is an agent for the United Nations and that, is this, that he is a self-professed social engineer who wants to rebuild the, quote, infrastructures of human existence. Why should Fauci's phony propaganda be so hard for America? It's because technocrats have created and leveraged fear for the, to the whole world, making populations wide open to their suggestions. You guys can go read more about that because what we're literally talking about is Agenda 21. They're all calling for global governance to help combat this. Right? Very, very strange. But these people aren't, uh, they, 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 